every time I hear um, or I'm part of singing Open the Eyes of My Heart, I am transferred back to the spring of 2005 um, when I was there in the midst of the rainforest between Costa Rica and Panama. And um, to hear the people sing first that song um, in Spanish and uh, hear the words, Holy, 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 and that they're singing Santo, Santo, Santo. Um, and then to hear the people, and sometimes I confuse the, the tribal people with the language, but the Nabe, and to hear them singing that song under this little, little roof and just some sticks, and to hear these people just echoing out the praise of God. And as I hear that song in English, I'm reminded of hearing it in Spanish and then hearing it also in their native language, and I'm reminded of the truth of Revelation, that there will come a day when every tribe, people, tongue, and language will gather around the throne of God and declare the praise of God for all eternity. And, man, what a beautiful moment as we sing here and wondering, our brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout, in all different languages, all throughout this world, praising God and singing that He alone is holy, holy, holy. Um, this morning, Psalm 127. For the month of January, we're going to be walking through um, here specifically 127 this morning. We'll be in 128 next week. And then if the Lord wills, on the 28th of January, we'll be in Psalm 130. And um, just several things that God's been showing me over the past few months through these passages. And I want to hopefully bring out and feed to you um, that they might be fresh food and manna for your soul. Um, but this morning, I want you to walk away with just um, this, this attitude, this posture of worship, this approach to life. And it's simply this, unless the Lord. Would you say it with me? Unless the Lord. Would you say it with me? Unless the Lord. I really hope and pray that we walk away with that posture today spiritually of recognizing our place and where the Lord's place is. And it's unless the Lord. And so, if you would, Psalm 127, let's pick up there, begin in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in what? In vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman watches in what? In vain. It is in vain, he says, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Four, he gives sleep to his beloved, or he gives to his beloved sleep. There's a refrain there that I think maybe you saw. Um, again, I kind of pointed as the, the title of, the base of today's message, Unless the Lord. He reiterates that again there, uh, second time in verse 1. And then we hear this, this other refrain, that there is things that are done in vain. Um, we hear it twice there in verse 1, and again it starts verse 2. And so, again, this pattern of repetition is calling to our attention. Unless the Lord, it's in vain. Unless the Lord, it's in vain. Unless the Lord, it's in vain. And so I want you and I to begin to, to approach life to realize, unless the Lord does it, man, it's in vain. It doesn't matter how much, how many resources I have, how hard I may work, um, how much I may give, how often I may go. Listen, as awesome as it was to be back there in the rainforest in 2005 with the, with the, and the Costa Rican people there and sharing the gospel. And, man, we hiked over mountains and we drank water from cow troughs. Everybody got sick. It was an intense, intense trip, all right? I mean, we, we slept literally on sawed-off logs. Um, the only showering that happened was if it, the Lord gave rain, you showered. Other than that, you didn't have any shower. I mean, it was an intense um, time there of sharing the gospel. But the, the Bible reminds us, unless the Lord is a part of that, unless the Spirit of God is doing a work, that is in vain. That's a humbling place to be. That's a posture that really should cause all of us to, to take this text almost and read it on our needs. It's interesting, the setting of Psalm 127 and many of these in this, um, in this setting here of, of the passages, um, they take place as the people would be journeying to the temple to worship. 
And these are songs that maybe they might sing and things that they would be meditating upon. And, and so, again, we hear this statement, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, again, obviously, he's not just talking about a physical house, right? Although they would understand of the temple that they're going to worship, and we might think about our own homes. But really, the homes represent a lot about our lives, don't they? They represent a lot about who we are. And he's saying, listen, I want you to apply this to your entire life. That unless the Lord is building your house, no matter how much you're working, you are laboring in what? In vain. That's a humbling again. And so let's let's just maybe talk through this for a moment. What are maybe some examples in Scripture of when people labored, but the Lord wasn't building and it really came to be in vain? I think three maybe examples that stand out. I'm sure we could catch others, but one is this. Um, In Genesis chapter 11, the people said, let's make a name for ourselves. Remember Genesis chapter 6 and following, you have the flood and, and Noah and his family are there. And so it's interesting. It says that all the people in that day and time spoke one language. And they said, listen, guys, you know what we need to do? We need to make a name for ourselves. So let's build a tower that reaches to where? To the heavens, right? And so they began to do that. And and you see a little bit of the context there, but I want to call to your attention verse 8 of Genesis 11. So the Lord dispersed, right? God says, listen, this is about their glory, not mine. And so the Lord come down and says, listen, unless the Lord builds, those labor in vain. And he reminds us of this. Why? So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Here's the first reminder. Unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. Why? Because you may very well start it, but not be able to finish. So you may be all about you and your kingdom today. You may be all about what you can do in your own power and strength. But unless the Lord's doing it, you may very well start it, but not be able to finish it. Secondly is this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 21, the writer tells us, Because sometimes a person who has toiled, they've worked with wisdom and knowledge and skill. They must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone, look what it says here, who did not toil for it. This also is what? It's vanity. It's in vain. He says, listen, I want you to know that unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Not only might you be able to start something and not be able to finish it, but if it's for your glory and all of about who you are, it may be likely that you may not live to see it. Or somebody else may start and take up where you left off. That's a humbling place, isn't it? To thank everything you've labored for. And some of you, look, at it, it's interesting. I don't know if anybody recognizes the visual there. Does anybody recognize what that is? It's here in, in, in Kentucky. It's one of our landmarks. What is it? The castle in Lexington, right? I remember as a kid wanting to drive by there, right, as we approached the Mecca that is called Rep Arena, right? And anyway, um, some of you are in mourning. Um, but anyway, you would see that great castle. And as a kid, I would think, dude, I would just so love to live there. That would be so awesome. And I remember hearing these stories of the people that they had had this big castle built, but they never, unfortunately, ever even lived in it. Might that be symbolic of your life right now? I mean, you're working on your castle, but the reality is you may never live to enjoy it. Some of you, you're building your entire life for retirement. And the truth is either A, that retirement may not come, or B, you may not have the health to enjoy it. So I want to ask you right now, are you living for the Lord? Are you building? Unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. Thirdly, not only might you start something and can't finish it, secondly, you might not live to see it, but... The third thing that I would point out is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the what? On the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened to that house? It fell. And great was the crash of it. There was a great crash. I, I want today just to maybe to remind you that if you're building for your own kingdom and your own glory, the vanity that may very well come to you is a reminder that your life is temporary. It's temporary. And, and even more so, obviously, Jesus was speaking to the spiritual nature of our lives. And he's saying, listen, if we invest lives in doing things that are always about us and trying to be good enough, he says, I want you to know that there's only one foundation that will stand in the judgment of God, and that is a personal, genuine relationship of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, I want you to know that everything else, if you stand before God, if you stand in your good works, in your church attendance, in your mission trips, in your giving, in whatever you try to say that your foundation is, he said, I want you to know that foundation is sand. So we would stand with the writer of Psalms and say in verse 1 of Psalm 127 that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers do what? They labor in vain, don't they? So there's this moment of humility. But not only does the Lord, Lord those that don't labor with the Lord, um, unless he builds it, they labor in vain. Secondly, look what he says here again, verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord, right, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Um, there was um, Oliver Cromwell. He was there, the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland from 1653 to about 1658. Um, and his, his common verbiage to his soldiers that were under his care was this, trust in God and keep your what? Keep your powder dry, right? So, hey, trust in God, guys, but have your gun ready, right? Be ready. And the, the psalmist is telling us here, listen, you can trust it. You can, you can keep your powder ready, but I want you to know that even if your powder's ready and you're not trusting in the Lord, you're not relying upon Him, I'm going to tell you that powder that's dry is not even good. He's saying, I want you to know that you have to have the Lord. You must rely upon Him. I mean, let's be honest. We, we read those words there and, and we think about it. Look, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I want you to know that no matter how strong you are, how vigilant you are today, you can't watch over and protect those you love and care about. Let's be honest. Some of you are here. You've got diagnoses here recently that remind you that no matter how much you love and care about those people, you haven't been able to protect them. That's a weak place to be. And I think it's hopefully it's a place that's going today in this text drive you and I to say, wow, Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Precious Lord, I'm coming to you. There's a place of humility in this text. Unless the Lord watches over the city. He says, listen, the watchmen are there. Now listen, don't, don't miss this in the text. The, the watchmen are watching. The builders are building. He's not saying that we are to sit by on our suite, by and by and do nothing. There's a call to live in the midst of this. But he is reminding us that, listen, you and I are weak. And we must have the Lord or we are laboring in vain. No matter how vigilant we may be, no matter how strong we may be, no matter how many the resources we have, we are weak, brothers and sisters. And let that weakness drive you and I to the Lord. The third thing that he mentions here in verse, beginning now in verse 2, he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread 
of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Over the past several months, specifically as I'm preparing for school, getting ready to head out tonight, um, I have found myself at the anxious bread buffet. Almost daily. Right? I've got a frequent member card. They punch that baby. Like, right? I get enough, I get a free meal maybe, right? I mean, I have found myself at the anxious bread buffet continually day after day. Why? That adage is true that you rise up early and go late to rest. If I can just get a few more flashcards in late into the night. And if early in the morning, if I can just get up a little bit earlier this morning and get started. What's driving it really and truly is a fear that I'm going to fail. And what does it look like for me to be a failure? What's my family going to think? What's the church going to think? What's that say about my own swag, my own rep, that you couldn't even pass something you've been spending months to study? And I'm going to tell you, that bread of anxious toil is consuming at times. And what I found interesting is, is that at the anxious bread buffet, I've seen some of you. You eating there too. You see, the passage is, is, there must be a balance, right? There's a wisdom always when we come to the scriptures that... He's not saying that we shouldn't work, right? There's going to be days and times when you and I get up early and we go late to rest. There are those times and there are those maybe seasons of life. But he's saying watch and be careful if that consuming lifestyle is really about building your own kingdom. And be careful because a lot of times we can take anything we want and twist it and say, well, it's really for this good. We can bend it to make it look right through our lens. He says, listen, I want you to know the Lord for he wants to, and he desires to give his beloved what? Sleep. Rest. So the question might be, well, how do we balance work and rest? And so the Proverbs are, are, have some great wisdom. Look, look, look with me, if you would, begin in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The first thing is that your work is to be honest. Treasures gained by wickedness do not what? They don't profit. It might temporarily. Or it might for a lifetime and it might consume you with what you have in those pockets. Do you see that? That's the danger of the Scriptures. It's not saying that we always get exposed here and now. There's such a great deception at times that it keeps filling our pockets with this wickedness that keeps bringing more and more to us. Our kingdom keeps growing and growing that we never ever think that there's another kingdom that might be greater or more important. Verse 4 of Proverbs 10, a slack hand causes what? Poverty. Come on, when I do that here, I want a little call and response. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. So not only should your work be honest, it should be productive. There is a call to faithful work. There's a call to work. Thirdly, verse 5, he says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So not only is there honest work, not only is there productive work, there is to be wisdom with our work. Right There's a prudency to say, listen, it's time to work. It's time to get up. The alarm's gone off. Some of you are snoozers. How many of you are snoozers? You hit the, the snooze, right? Yeah, absolutely. How many of you are not snoozers, but you live with a snoozer? Whoa, look at those hands. Easy, like, right? I mean, they're like, yeah, stand those people, right? I'm a snoozer, right? So I love to hit the snooze. I delight in that, and so it's a weakness of mine. But listen, be careful. The reminder here is saying, listen, we're called to work, guys. There should be a wisdom to say, listen, it's time, but always a balance. And watch this, verse 22, again, the same chapter. So, again, this kind of helps bring a little balance. The blessing of the Lord does what? Makes rich. 
Be careful, he said. Be careful if you think that by your own strength you've done it because you've risen early and you've gone late to rest. He says, I want you to know that it's really the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. If you've profited, if the Lord's blessed you, man, then you ought to see that really and truly, <laughs> guys, it's not me. It's him. He has been so faithful. He's given me health, right? I mean, come on. Any of you, maybe you've worked 40 years straight and you've gone early, to, early in the morning and late at night. You have to acknowledge you haven't been strong enough to keep yourself healthy. The Lord has given you favor even in your health. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. But further with me, uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist when your eyes light on it. Again, the it is describing this wealth. It is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Don't forget, in the midst of your working and building, that what you're doing for this life here is temporary. It's temporary. So what might that lead us to? Look what he says here now in chapter 8 of Proverbs, beginning in verse 18. Riches and honor are with me. So with me, this is the Lord, right? Wisdom is being personified here. But the Lord is, is speaking, ultimately. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit, he says, it's better than gold. It's better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice. Verse 21, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Proverbs remind us that there is a temporary wealth. But there's an eternal wealth that far outweighs anything here and now. And Jesus would come alongside of us and maybe just whisper today to us, be careful where you're building and storing your treasures. I want you to know that if it's on this earth, people can break in and steal, that moths destroy, rust comes. He says, but if you store your treasure, if you're building, if the kingdom is really about what God's doing, God's building this kingdom, I'm a part of what God's doing here. And he said, I want you to know that there's a place where no one breaks in and steals, where rust doesn't come and destroy, where moths can't ruin. And then he whispers this, verse 21 of Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be what? Also. And that's probably in the midst of this that we must keep that in our minds. There's something better than gold. There's something better than silver. It's with the Lord. And the reminder is, careful, careful, careful if you're consumed with the things of this world. Because wherever your treasure is, your heart is sure to follow. Your heart is sure to follow. So the Lord has to bring protection, right? It's his blessing. So again, how do we balance this? Well, when you think about sleep, you may think, well, well Blake, that was um, the day of rest, the Sabbath, right? That was part of the Old Testament. But really and truly, if you think about resting, you have to look back even further into the pages of Genesis in the beginning. And we see the first six days, God's doing all this amazing creating. And then the seventh day, God does something very unique and interesting. And what was it? Do you remember what God did on the seventh day? He rested, didn't he? He was establishing a part of the created order. Not that God grows tired or weary. God is never fatigued. He is never worn out, right? He's never limited. But he was establishing an order for you and I that we need times of rest. So I want to ask you, when is your time of rest? When? Is it today? Is there a day of rest in your life? 
See, if you're not careful, you end up like me at the anxious bread buffet and the fear of whatever it is that's driving you, that you won't make it or what somebody maybe said about you a long ago that you would never make it in this business or what people think about because how well you've done already, you've got to keep that up. I mean, if that's, I mean, at the end of the day, man, that bread is just so anxious and you can't keep eating. Got to have it. It's a consumingness. And the Bible calls you and I to a place of rest, realizing that it's not simply about this kingdom. It's temporary. I want to invest my life in the eternal kingdom. And because God is in charge of that, there is times when I can just rest. I can just rest. Well, the writer continues um, by saying to us, listen, it's not only um, about the Lord building a house. Verse 3, now in watching over the city. He says, verse 3 of Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of a womb, a reward. He says, listen, just like if you build for your own glory and your own power, unless the Lord's doing it, it's in vain. In the same way, he's reminding us, listen, even children are a reward from the Lord. Like, you can't make that happen. No matter how hard you may try, you can't make that happen. And, there, and again, he's telling us, listen, guys, I want you to know, God's building that house. God's building that house. And, and I wrote a couple of things. I want to make sure I try to say it in the right way. For some of you, that God's building that house, it's different than what you thought. For some of you, the house that God is building, again, I'm talking about children here, that house is different than what you thought. It may not be a child that looks like you. It may not even be a child from your own body. There may be adoption. There may be fostering. There may be a plan of God's discipleship. There's a, a beautiful moment, Isaiah chapter 56, where the, the Word of God says to the eunuch, I will give you something better than sons and daughters. It is an inheritance that will never fade away. It is a, a name in my new kingdom. So for some of you, listen, the building of your family isn't what you thought. And here's what I want to ask. Are you okay with unless the Lord? Or has it got to be God? Hey, listen, I'm good with you building my family, but here's the blueprint. What if God says I'm not accepting that blueprint, but I've got another one for you? It's adoption. It's child sponsorship. It's I'm one of the best kids in your life. We see, we, we've got to realize that, listen, sometimes, listen, as we look at these things and take them, we realize that it may not always look the way we want it to look. And this, again, brings us to a place of saying, unless the Lord, I'm not strong enough. I can't make it happen. So three things I want to pull maybe from this verse 3 right here um, to say. So again, he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. So first thing I want to pull out to your attention is, is that children are from the Lord. They're from God. These are from the Lord. They are a heritage. So let's not despise what God has given. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Secondly, I want to say this. Look what he says here. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. If you have the New Living Translation, he says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. You know what that means? That no one here is a mistake. No one here is an accident. Now, they may have called you that. Some of you may be 60 and you still think you're the accident in your family. The Bible says that's not true. 
says, if you're here today, it's because God designed and created and appointed you and put you there in your mother's womb when you and your, fa- when your mother and father came together. And he says, I want you to know you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You weren't by chance. I want you to know, he says, your life is from the Lord. And so that brings us maybe to our third point. Since every life is from God, it's therefore sacred. Thus, as Christians, we must all, all, all oppose abortion. Because if not, really what we're doing is fighting against the Lord and saying, God, we don't really want your gift. It's not. We can decide. And the Bible tells us that, listen, these children are from the Lord. This work in the womb is a work of God himself. The Bible is directing us. And so, again, this is about the Lord. Further with me, look at verse 4. Again, this idea of just unless the Lord. He's just kind of saying, listen, I want you to see that all of your life is really about unless the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So, again, he's comparing children to arrows, right, in the hand of a warrior. Now, it's interesting, right? A warrior would go into battle and have these arrows, but the reality is, the, the reason why he has the arrows and the bow is why? Because he wants to shoot the arrow to a place he doesn't have to go to, right? I mean, it's a way of, of, of keeping us safe, of watching over us. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know that children are a heritage. They're a gift from the Lord. And as parents, guess what we're doing? We're preparing our children to go to places that maybe, one, God will never call us to go. Or maybe it's to places that you missed or you weren't willing to go. And as parents, we're pulling it back. And letting it fly. He says, listen, I want you to know that children are arrows in the hand of a warrior. You and I, as we are raising up kids, listen, we are called. Grandparents today, you are called. You are helping those children begin to realize what is the target that I want you to fly to. How do I want you to live your life? And listen, as we look at that, how are kids going to know how to fly toward the target? By doing what? Watching us. There's a call to holy living as moms and dads, as grandparents, aunts and uncles, as educators. Many of you are in places where God has placed children into your path. And the call is for us to point them to the target. And some of you, listen, and I'm not there yet, so I know this day's coming. Some of you are fatigued because you're holding the bow for so long. There comes a time when we got to let it go. I was thinking about Frozen there. I don't know why. Sorry. Let it go. Anyway, sorry. Just totally random. Some of you, again, you're iced over because there comes a time when you've got to pull it back and let it go. Right? I mean, what good does it do a warrior to go into battle and have his arrows and never shoot them? That would make no sense. In the same way, right, if children are in the hands of a warrior, they're arrows in the hands of a warrior. Can you imagine us going to God and saying, God, this is your arrow and snapping it? But that's what's happening with the unborn in the womb, when we're not speaking up for them that their lives matter, we're saying, God, let me take your arrow and just snap it. That, these are God's arrows. God is giving you children to send them to the target to live a godly, holy life, to take the gospel to Greensburg, to, to Galilee, to wherever he may send you and your children. So let's live holy, godly lives and point our children to Christ. Um, look what else he says here. Blessed is the man who, verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Notice he doesn't say burden. 
I'm fearful that in our society, children have become a burden. And not all cases, but I think there are definitely some. The reason why is because we're building our own kingdom. They get in the way of our labor. That's not what the Scripture is teaching. Blessed is the man. Again, now listen, all of us, God may have a different path for you, so take that in context. Everything I'm saying here, don't take this one isolated moment and say, what? no, everything I've been preaching, trying to bring it collectively together. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He's saying, listen, it's, children are not bad. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said on this passage here, of course, a large number of children means a large number of trials. Can I get a witness? But when these are met by faith in the Lord, it also means a mass of love and a multitude of joys. And I want to again remind you of the number of children that need to be adopted, the number of children, I think 7,000 plus here in Kentucky, who are awaiting foster parents. It's not for everybody, but it is for some of you. And that's the blueprint God's handing you. Let's finish by looking at that last part of verse 5. It says, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children provide a sense of protection. And some of you are there as children. And when I say children, you're in your 60s, maybe 70s. And you're now having to make decisions for moms and dads. Some of you are there. Come on, raise your hands. Some of you are there, aren't you? Hard stuff, isn't it? I'll never forget having to make the decision for my grandfather that he wasn't going to be able to drive anymore. And I'm telling you, those decisions, some of you are having to make those type of decisions for them. And it's costing you relationally. It costs me a great deal relationally. The POA, the power of attorney, got changed, right? I made the decision. And I remember looking my grandfather in the eye and saying, Papa, I wish that one of your two boys was here to do it, but they've already gone to be with the Lord. It's just me. And I'm trying to make the best decision I can. But listen, there are moments when it's hard and some of you are there in those stages of life and you're making decisions for aging parents. It is hard. He says, listen, I want you to know that they'll not be put to shame. So, again, children are there as a protection, as parents age, to watch over and care for them. But look what else he says. He says that these, when these kids are there, he's not going to be put to shame. And I think it may be an important point. Kiddos, be careful today if you hear this message and say, Mom and Dad, you hear? The preacher said, the Bible says, I'm a gift. Huh? When this man comes to the gate and his children are with him, he's not put to shame. Why? Because his kiddos are not acting like scoundrels. Children, we are called to honor our parents, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Children, we are called to obey. And some of you, again, this is tough because when I say children, you hear and you see your aging parents. So again, children is really right contextual to every one of us here, many of us here, as you deal with these things. But children, you are called to live a holy and godly life that your parents would not be put to shame. And if you've made a mess of it, guess what? Your mom and dad have too, and that's why they need Jesus. So go and say, Mom and Dad, I've messed it up. Would you forgive me? First go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm in need of Jesus. But listen, we see this passage again. Unless the Lord, man, we've got to realize as moms and dads, we're doing our best to point kids toward the arrow, toward the target. We're hoping they'll fly. But listen, we've also flown off course. So we need to show them that grace and mercy. We need to call our children to repentance to come to look to the Lord. So where should this unless the Lord attitude lead us? Three things I want you to leave with. Again, 
a posture, a lifestyle of unless the Lord. One is today, if you don't walk away humbled, I don't know what will. You're not strong enough to watch over the city that God's entrusted to you. No matter how strong you are, you can't watch over. Do you realize that unless the Lord's building your house, and that may be through children, it may be through what God has called you to do vocationally, all that, unless the Lord does it, you're really laboring in vain. I, I don't know anything as we look at this text that would not issue and call us to a place of humility. Say, Lord, really, I, God, forgive me. Some of us may need to say, God, forgive me. I, I've been thinking I'm a lot stronger and tougher than I really am. Lord, Secondly is this, not only should it create a humility, I pray that today this text creates a hunger. Like, Lord, I, I, I need you. Lord, I can't get this right in my own strength, Lord. Lord, I am tempted to build my own kingdom. Lord, I am tempted to go with the preacher to the anxious bread buffet and eat there often. I'm consumed by that. I am chasing the things of this world, God. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm early to rise, late to, to bed. And God, I'll be honest, I don't have much place of rest in my life. So God, I'm just here today to say, Lord, I'm hungry. I need you, Lord. Lord God, I am weak, Lord. Please, God, I'm hungry. And I'm looking to you because you're strong and I'm not. Thirdly, knowledge should create a place of humility and hunger. I pray it creates a desire for holiness. To realize how easily you and I can miss it. We can miss it. We can try to do these things in our own strength. And the reality is only the Lord can do it. So God, keep me close. Keep me clean. Please, Lord, keep me close to you. Let me long for you, God. Let me be faithful, God, to the place you've put me in life. But help me realize, God, help me give you praise to realize, Lord, unless you do it, Everything I'm doing is in vain. Ultimately, the greatest thing you need to realize today is unless the Lord Jesus Christ is your salvation, no matter what else you rely upon, it's in vain. There's no hope of eternity for you. There's no acceptance before God except by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Why? Because God expects and only accepts perfect people and if you were to be honest today you realize you're not perfect and the good news is jesus came for the unperfect that if you put your faith and trust in this jesus of nazareth who lived a sinless perfect life and died on the cross not for his sins but for yours if you put your faith and trust in him god credits his perfect life to your account do you see that that you now stand before god perfect not in your own righteousness, not in your own goodness, but in that of Christ. And therefore, He alone is your solid rock. Anybody here on sinking sand? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Would you pray for me? Father, in the name of Jesus, help us realize, God, today, unless you do it, uh, God, we don't have the strength. God, I don't have the strength. Um, couldn't heal my own dad. Couldn't protect him from it. I can't heal Emily's dad. God, I can't cause the heartbreak in the lives of so many people that I stand and look at to go away. The things that they've experienced, they've gone through. The things that they are right now, the storms that are raging. God, I, I, I can't. But Lord, I know that you are sufficient. And so, Father, I'm just praying today as your messenger, I hope and pray that they hear 
that there is a loving, gracious God who desires to receive them, to realize unless the Lord does it, whatever they're doing is in vain. Father, may you create a posture of humility for this body as we look to this community and to the nations to realize unless the Lord bursts it, unless the Lord is the one empowering it by his spirit, no matter what we do, it's just going to end up being for the name of Greensburg Baptist, for the name of some preacher, for the name of some person. And God, that has no eternal weight. So Father, humble us today. Rebuke me. God, I say I'm sorry. I know I've been eating at that anxious bread buffet all the time. God, I'm consumed by worry and fear. And God, at times it just it just consumes me. I'm, I'm not a husband. I'm not a father. I don't. I don't I'm not holy anything because I'm consumed by the fear of failure and the worry, and so it drives me. God, Father, I just confess that I I need to repent of that, and I say I'm sorry. I pray, God, for anybody else here that just realizes today that unless the Lord, that, that's, that's true for their life too. And I just pray that you would just invite all kinds of people today just to come and bow and just acknowledge that unless the Lord does it, there's no other way it's going to happen. Thank you, God, that you are a good and gracious and kind and loving God that would turn away none that are sent to you. And so I just pray in the midst of your benevolent grace, you would call many sons and daughters to return home many for the first time to come and bow and acknowledge that they need Jesus for his perfect life credited to them I pray it in the name of Christ Lord Amen Amen What you build in church if it's for you and your kingdom it will not stand there is a greater kingdom there's a great king who calls for your submission and humility. Would you come and bow before him? For you will. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. Be the theme of heaven's praises, broken